The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We welcome our online listeners this morning. This is number 59 and, and the number that is associated with the podcast. Finances is where we're at in the seven areas of life. And now, today, we're going to be talking about bondage. Now, as you know from the Latin, there's one, but usually, most of the time, there are two definitions because of the two words within the Latin word. Bondage is one of those that has actually two definitions within one word. What is it? You're looking at the word right now, bondage. You break it up, you put it in two words, and what do you have? Bond and an age. Now, when you think of bond, what comes to your mind right now? Okay? Like super glue, gel? Yes. Oh, jail, not gel. (laughs) That'll do it, too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. If not, you're going to jail. And if not, we'll use the gel on you to bond you. To When you hear guys talking about football, we always say, well, they're just doing male bonding. The raw core definition of bond is to adhere, to take two pieces to become one. That's all it is. You add age to the end of it, and here's what you've got. You have two separate identities being bonded into one identity for all the ages. That could be a positive thing or that could be a negative thing. But you see, with our identity in Christ, you don't take my identity and and Christ's identity and bond them together. That is called in dialectic formatting an illusion. It's not only an illusion... One identity always wins out. Always. And this scripture is used by preachers all over the world on saying that the old nature and new nature are bonded together as one unit. And that bondage will send you to hell. God separates himself from the people of sin. God separates himself from our old identity. He wants to give us a brand new self. He wants to give us a brand new identity. He wants to give us a new nature. Behold, you are a new creation. Bondage is not a nasty word. I am content with being in bondage to Christ Jesus. You see? To be bonded to his identity for the ages. So let's break this down a little bit. It's easy to see if someone is in financial bondage. One's life becomes an outward view of an inward problem. A person radiates the reflections of their rebellious life. The term rebellious comes from rebellion. Rebellion is the term that is used 
when uh, early term that was used when they would cut the cord on the baby between the mother and the child. It is to detach the baby from her belly. That process of independence is saying to that child, you have been released to either suffer or to grow up under the nutrients that you can find for yourself. And if you have a responsible mother, that makes sure that the breast is close by so the child can get those nutrients, great. But in many places in the world today, that simply is not available. That's where the term rebellion comes from. It is a detachment from the belly. When man and woman, Adam and Eve, chose to sin, there was this supernatural scissors that came out and cut mankind from the umbilical cord, supernatural umbilical cord, spiritual umbilical cord between God and man. Rebellion occurred. When we are reattached to the belly of God, so to speak, this happened at the great exchange of your salvation. Your complete nutrient value system comes from the life that comes from God through Christ, who is the umbilical cord. The life inside the umbilical cord is the Holy Spirit. And it comes into you. And you were made alive, as this passage that we just talked about. We're made alive because of being reattached to the belly of God. That's why rebellion is a sin, to detach yourself from God as a believer. There is no independence. There is no figuring it out on your own. There is no going and getting four or five degrees to figure out the Bible so you know how to properly explain your faith to someone. That's rebellion type of activity. I have to figure this out because I know God does exist. These people are lukewarm at heart and filled with bitterness and resentment. But when we encounter a bitter person, in most cases anyway, we are seeing a person who is in debt, spiritually, relationally, and oftentimes financially. As a counselor, discipler of people, I hunt for nine primary symptoms of these individuals, including myself. You see, we somehow have done the very same thing with these seven areas of life. We have detached them from who we are in Christ. So our parenting style could be harsh and legalistic. Our marriages can be legalistic. Our finances could be a system we use. Our, you see, you go through the seven areas of life, and we have detached those seven areas from who we are in Christ. So we go read books about them to figure out the best system for me. So when you hear Indoel Christians or non out there talking about, well, the best system for me with finances is, is uh, Ron Blues because I like the way that he divides up the, you know, the, that's what we end up doing. We go to a specialist and we say, I like his system. There is no system for finances. 
It is knowing who you are in Christ and it pours out into how you handle your wallet. Then when you hear some practical things that people are using, you're like, wow, I'm going to integrate that into my walk with the Lord. It's opposite. If we view these ten principles as the law, believe me, we will find long-term bondage. And as someone said earlier, we have to ask the questions, exactly who are we bonding ourselves to in our personal, professional, and spiritual lives? So let's take a look at principle number one. Principles of bondage is what we're talking about. Insecurity is our first one. People who are not secure in who they are in Christ are typically building their identity around another person. Usually someone who has more than they do financially or spiritually or relationally. So you guys tell me, why is it that we build our identity around a teacher? I'm not even going to try to guess or even attempt to communicate how often I hear someone say, have you read so-and-so's book? Oh, that sounds like John MacArthur to me. Oh, you, you've been reading Hudson Taylor's you know, new devotional, haven't you? Or you they, they attach some person's name to truth that sets people free that came out of the mouth of God into Christ, Christ into the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit out your vocal cords. And we somehow sign humans' names to this? That's where identity crisis comes from. You're listening to someone and you're going, man, no one quite says it like... My new guy, I love reading, Jim Fowler. I love you, Jim, and I, I believe God is active and alive through you, but you are only human. But I know Christ inside you, and when he speaks inside you, he's ministering to my soul. Thank you, Jim, for being a willing vessel. I don't care how many books you've written, and believe me, he's written a lot of them. You see, that's how we're supposed to look at it. Therefore, when I'm with Jim, I can enjoy him as a brother, not think he's some, you know, theologian, even though he is a great theologian, sitting on a pedestal somewhere. Because there's always someone in the crowd that has a hammer in their hands to come up and start chipping away at that pedestal to get that leader to fall. Always. They are easily offended and quick to defend their position of bondage. They fight being confronted with the pride of self, which is not only annoying to the observer, but to God himself. There are people who are different to counsel due to their unwillingness to be told what to do. First sign you probably should hunt for. Can a child be told what to do? Yes or no? 
Can you look at each of your children or grandchildren or someone else's kids? Can you see instantly that that child is a child of the yes? If they are not a child of the yes, you're going to have problems with that child for ages. They will be bonded to leaders, place their identity in superheroes, or God only knows what else is out there. They'll put their identity around those externals because they can't be told what to do. How in God's name can a superhero made out of plastic tell you what to do? Do you see my point? How can an author from a book tell you what to do? Oh, they are because I'm reading it. Really? How'd you like to sit down with that author and confront you? No, that's why I read it. See, we set up this live around ourselves where we're getting the truth, but we can't be told what to do. Thus, Satan has been able to literally erase discipleship in the entire world. So you want to wonder why? You look at all those people through the 1,000 years and all of a sudden he's released from the pit again and, and within, I don't know how many years it took to get Gog and Magog formed, but you, you look at these people and you go, are, are you stupid? Yes, we are. The human mind is stupid, knowing the truth, but cannot appropriate the truth. That's stupidity. We're all in stupidity unless we have Christ in us. That changes that dynamic. But plastic dolls can't tell us what to do. We control our idols. Do you understand that? That's what idolatry is. We get to control the stone that, that bleeds. We get to control the, the whatever that external idol is. You think we're bowing to the idol, but God tells you something different in the final chapters of the book of Revelation. You're controlling the God. You're controlling the idol, which makes you God. And that's why we have to go to hell. These people are focused on being like another, that they defend the humanness of their graven image, rather than embracing the image of God. Insecure people are defenders of self and, and re rebels of wisdom. They find great comfort in hiding behind the masks that they wear. To put it simple, they are living out the lives of someone who is more prosperous. These people parrot the lives of those they admire. They do not know who not only they are, but the other person is. They don't know. So you hang around prosperous preachers who name it, claim it, stab it, slab it, and are prosperous. And I'm telling you, I had a discussion with someone who was, you know, working for a business that advances these name it and claim it type. And we both came to this interesting conclusion. They're billionaires. You, there's not a person in this room that cannot look at Joel Osteen and go, there's something not right here. 
But he is a personal, not ministerially, he's personally a billionaire. He's Walmart level. Do you see what I'm saying? Why do people give all that money to someone when you just look at him and go, there's something wrong with that smile. It's got to be fake. they got to be implants with your money. And they don't care. The reason why they don't care is people want prosperity teachings. They don't want downer messages. This same young man said to me, I want to leave a service bothered. I want to leave a service upset. I want to leave a service where I'm wrestling with the fact of what the preacher was presenting to me. And I looked at this young man and I said, that's why I hang out with you. You're getting it. You don't want your ears tickled anymore. Is that a verse in the Bible? You don't want your ears tickled anymore. Well, Joel, that was an awesome sermon. They're mimicking. You see what I'm saying? They go into their workplace on Monday and they go, Oh, Ginger, you're awesome. Where are they getting that? From their billionaire preacher. No, you want to you go to work on Monday and go, Ginger, I need to talk to you about something. Have you ever heard of the life of Christ inside you? And it may agitate her because you're showing her something that is going to come against her self-life, her insecurities. Number two is filled with fear. There's not a one of us in this room that has this one. Right? Take the F off of fear and what do you have? Who are you listening to? Who's your God? When you, when, you, when, you, when you have this flash of fear, and believe me, I come from a horrific background of being bound by fear. If you remember my peak of my fear, I couldn't even go into a 7-Eleven and buy a package of gum. To where I am today, I was just thinking about this as I was uh, reviewing for today's message, and I'm like, I'm almost like a complete different person. And then the Lord reassured me of, no, you're the exact same indwelt believer that you were back then. It's just that now you know what fear is. But see, I was fighting fear itself, which makes you fearful. And that's the trap I was in. And then I started to understand what fear really was. It made me sick to even submit to it. So individuals of fear are so aware of their environment that they work to block out the things that upset their existence and reason for living. Man, if there's anything you want to underline, it would be that one, I would think. They tend to make decisions based on the externals of life, including finances. A fearful person, one of the first things that comes out of their mouth is, well, what about the finances? 
What's it going to cost us? What's it going to be? What? That's what fear goes. It goes and grabs the most external God known to Satan himself. It is money. And that is the evidence you're being duped to the God of the yes. When that is in the front instead of the rear, you have a problem on your hands. Fearful people surround themselves with comfort foods, material possessions, and relationships that won't upset them. So you look at some people and you go, why are they hanging out with with whoever? And you could look at this whoever and go, they're a bad influence on them. They're not encouraging them in their faith. This is why. There are comfort people like comfort food. You ever heard of a shopaholic? Now, I know someone who is extremely close to me who was a shopaholic. It was done online. She didn't even have to leave her living room. When I started working with her, she had every room in her house packed to the ceiling with boxes that have never been opened. Well, what, what good is there in that? Comfort in buying things? Do you even understand the psychological structure behind hoarding? You see, what hoarding is, is you, you are filling up space. Empty space is, is a symbolic reminder that you have emptiness inside. So Satan uses the compulsory buying thing to fill that space. And so now it, it's not an item with a knickknack on the shelf. It's packed out with stuff. Then that goes to the whole bookshelf. Then that goes to stacking stuff on the side of the bookshelf. Then that goes to stacking stuff on top of the bookshelf. Then that goes to stacking stuff around and you're able to hide it under things like under the piano. or or And then it grows up from behind there and pretty soon you're making stacks in the corners. Starts from the corners as Satan did for the four corners of the earth in the book of Revelation. That's where he went first to the corners and moved his way forward. That's how he does it. And all of a sudden, this person is not even aware of the fact they're a hoarder. And you, and you walk up to them. I have so many years experience of dealing with this. I, I just, it's almost embarrassing. But you walk up to that person and you say, Do you realize you have a problem with hoarding? Boys, is that that television show where the people... Like you can't even get into their houses. You can get into my house. Really? Is that what you think hoarding is? Is someone can actually still get in your house? Hoarding is hanging on to anything that is directly associated with comfort. That's all hoarding is. And if it's a little doll that your, your child held on to before she died in the crib, you're going to hang on to that, that doll and then you're going to add stuff to that doll until you're 50 years old. Those who, of you who work with hoarders know that what I'm saying is the truth. 
It always starts with you lost something. And you're always adding and adding and adding and adding and adding to try to fill that empty space because empty space makes you fearful. That's hoarding. When they obtain the results of their fear, they become fearful all the more. First John tells us that fear involves punishment. That is no joke, John. These people are quick to punish themselves with their own fears and are equally quick to punish others who move or change things around them. And that includes readjusting their environment. Only a fool will talk to someone who is in a fear pattern because they'll punish you. They'll punish you from leading you and directing you and guiding you and encouraging you. They'll just punish you because they're in punish mode. They're punishing themselves. So what happens? you got to leave fearful people to themselves. They have to die that way. Unless something happens. They don't face their fear to deal with the fear. They face the truth about fear. And that's what sets these people free from not being able to buy a package of gum in a store to being willing to go places that most Christians won't tread without fear. That's how that change can happen. But as long as you stay on this end of it and, and say, throw these little trinkets at you, the substance stuff at you, and you use that as a reason to stay rebellion against the God of the yes, then this has to stay in place. When I have worked with fear-based people through the years, as soon as I start hearing this stuff rattle off, I'm afraid of this, I'm afraid of that, I'm afraid of this. There's certain things I watch for and I go, you're beyond fear itself. You're now afraid of fear. Soon as I can diagnose them, so to speak, that they are in bondage to fear itself, it's over. There's no way reaching them. Because everything you present to them that could change them, they get afraid to do it. They get to the point they're so afraid they can't even get out of their houses. That's when you're in bondage to fear itself. You can't even get outside your own house. And those of you who are in bondage to this, bond age, all these years, is you know I'm telling you the truth. And there's only one way out of fear of fear itself. And if fear involves punishment, as John said, Jesus' beloved friend, then punishment involves punishment. In other words, they need to punish you if you talk to them. They have to punish you. And their own silence and despair in silence in their own little silent world is actually because of their own decisions. And they know it inside. They know it's their fault. And they get trapped in that. So everyone leaves them alone in their fear. It's a horrible place to be. Number two is horrible. But Satan needs it. 
in order to bind you, to bond you to his identity. Fear is never satisfied. It has no boundaries and finds no rest, no matter how hard one tries. The only solution to fear is love. God's perfect love chases away fears, we learn in 1 John. Usually their fear has a price tag connected to it. This price tag is spending money on things that subdue their fears. Drugs, food, clothing, etc. Long gone are the days where you look at a shopping addict and say they're the ones with the problem. It's everywhere. It's in every family. People hiding behind objects is so common that the setup for the final reign of the Antichrist, I'm telling you folks, Send your emails if you want to fight me on it. I don't care if you say if there's a thousand years left or 200 years or two years left. I'm here to tell you today, the stage has been set for an antichrist to control the entire world. Because it's in every single household everywhere. But I just showed you. Fear is trapping people and causing them to be paralyzed to make a decision. Are you with me? Indecisiveness. Just what did I train you girls as I was training you how to drive growing up? Do not hesitate in a intersection or, or you will die. I told my girls something that I've heard many people say back to me, I'm crazy for saying it, is I tell them if they come up to a red light, don't hesitate to rebel. Put the pedal to the metal because your hesitation is going to kill someone. There is more discernment in active decision making of rebellion than there is in hesitating, should I rebel? That's why they invented the yellow light. That's why we have stop signs is because people hesitate. Well, are you coming through or not? Are you going gonna to run the red light or not? So if you're going to hesitate, you're going to join this group. But making a proactive decision can literally save your life. There are some rebel rebels that live their entire adult lives and you think they would have been taken out early on because they were such rebels. You go, why not them, Lord? Because they don't hesitate to kill be killed? They don't hesitate. It's people who hesitate that kill other people. It's facts. Number three is anxiety. Of course, that kind of goes with our fear. Anxiety is the emotion that is extremely unpredictable. Those who suffer with this always concern, are concerned about the details around them. Almost like they are infringing upon the sovereignty of God. They think that the circumstances were different, they would be different. So what do they do? They change the circumstances. They manipulate the circumstances. They Godship their circumstances. 
so they feel better. This is where changing the doctrines of God makes you feel better. Have you ever been in a position, I've had so many ups and downs in my faith, it's ridiculous. So, Have you ever been in a position where you, as a very young believer, you hear certain truths and you go, yeah? And then 30 years later, you hear the same truths and you're kind of like, well, it kind of depends. There's hesitation. And when you were 19, there was no hesitation. Please. Put your arms around what I'm saying to you today. Satan wants to get you to progressively move forward into hesitation. Because when you hesitate, you kill people. You're easily killed. You're stoppable in your faith. But Peter getting out of the, out of the boat. Now this is, this is in Peter's flesh, folks. Peter wasn't indwelt by the Holy Spirit at this point in, in his ministry. He gets out of the boat, but the first thing that he says is, he says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come and I will come. Right? And Jesus, Jesus kind of looks at him and says, come on! And he gets out of the boat and he starts walking on water. I don't think there's a story before this that humanoids could walk on water. And here Peter's walking on water, not because he could walk on water, because the authority said in his life, come. Do you understand what's being said here? The power of decisiveness and decision making, even in and after the flesh, if you're responding to come, you'll come and you will see miracles. But when he got out there, he started to focus on the storm and he began to sink. And Jesus said to Peter, if you tried a little harder, this wouldn't have happened. Is that what he said? No. What did he say? Wasn't that an OU faith moment? Yeah. You So please remember this. Faith is for people going to hell and faith is for people going to heaven. It takes faith to follow Satan. The leader of Gog and Magog. To deny everything you just saw for a thousand years. To follow Satan? That takes an incredible amount of faith. It is who are you following? Who's in your wallet? Who's the who in your what? That's what it is. Number four is insomnia. For some crazy reason, when we start struggling with the God of the wallet, these worries, doubts, and fears start trying to find rest in our minds. Well, when we are trying to sleep... We're warring against the mind, trying to find rest at the same time. And result is you get insomnia. You can't sleep well. So having debt when we lie down to sleep is like going to bed without forgiving someone. It will cause tossing and turning the whole night through. 
When I read this verse, I oftentimes hear, hear these words in my head, Stephen, do not let the sun go down on your debt, spiritually, psychologically, or financially. It's the same thing to God. There's only one thing that I have, I have come to see in people's lives that caused them to run from the church, run from Christ, run from their mother, run from their father, run from their brother, whoever. There's only one thing I have found, and that is money. You know, whether it's having to go get a second job to take care of that, it's just money. The thing is, is Satan, once he has you in that trap, he just throws more conflict in there. It's going to take more money to keep you out of it. And it never stops. Ever. Until you're dead. I don't know if you've noticed that about financial affairs of human life. They never stop. There's never a time in your life that is, you're not presented with, do I or do I not go into debt over this? Do I or do I not, you know, justify whether I should, as Mary, you and I were talking about earlier, have the kids practice for their musical on Sunday afternoon from 1 to 5. When the Lord said, this is the day of rest. Well, the day of rest is us is to be encouraged by your teachers and preachers and husbands and wives and children. How can God do that if you're just eating up the bait that Satan keeps throwing in your track? I would go to prison before I violate the rest of the holy. I would. I hope I never have to. But there are certain things you do not violate in your life. You just don't do it. And removing God's precious moment that mankind, by the way, put aside to hear the truth, because they're supposed to be getting it every day long, all day long, every day, but we don't, so we come on Sundays to get it so that it will activate rest in the long run. So what we do is we burn ourselves out to get to Sunday and most of us spend our time sleeping and missing the truth that sets us free to gets us to cause us to rest so that we can walk in him. It's a horrible cycle he has us in. Lack of thanksgiving. Okay, maybe you are in debt. But are you thankful for it? That's the hard part. Being thankful for something that you particularly put yourself in is the worst type of issue that you could have in your life. I have to be thankful for something I did to myself. Most Christians get it, something done to them, that someday i got to get to the point of being thankful for this. But what I did to myself? Yes. Absolutely. Number five, lack in thanksgiving. Number six, set up for the Antichrist. We spoke of this a little bit earlier, but people who are in debt are led around by the ring in their noses, and the ring being their debt, and the one leading them around, this ring in their nose, you know, these great big bulls, and why many still do put rings in their nose, but 
It certainly was extremely popular before we had all of the fancy stuff to lead cattle out of a field or whatever. So they put a ring in that bull's nose and you could tie a string. Not a chain. A string onto that ring and that bull will go anywhere you want it to go. This is the principle that's being spoken of here. Number six is setting up for the Antichrist. Debt works like this ring. If I loan you something that belongs to me, that something binds us together, bond, by the way of a ring in the nose relationship. Now we put rings in our nose as fashion. I always find it interesting how Satan turns very horrific, negative, satanic symbols and puts them in the form of fashion. Our kids, majority of our youth today run around with rings in their nose and they think it's cool. We'll see how cool that is later. What are you claiming as your own? Is it really yours? If I loaned it to you, it's mine. I, I, I know my house doesn't belong to me. I'm not a homeowner. My bank owns my house. And do you realize within three months it could be out of my possession and I could be out of its possession? And so my attitude is, take it. I'm not being in bondage to it. But as long as I'm able to pay it, I will pay it responsibly. That's how it's supposed to be done. Or it becomes a ring. Number seven is set up for the Antichrist part two. And that is so many Americans are concerned about being enslaved to big government. But I say that our very own government better examine the ring in their own nose. If indeed our government has a ring, debt in their own nose, a couple of questions are begging to be asked and answered, and that is what master is leading the American people around by this ring, this debt? Well, you can find those statistics online, and that is to see the top five countries that we are in debt to, and that's how you find it. And if any of these people called in our debt, Primarily China. All it takes is a string around the national budget and you can lead that country anywhere you want them to do in anywhere you want them to be, right on into Magog. Magog means son of Japheth. Japheth is the forefounding father of the white and yellow skin. Gog is the sons of Ishmael. This is why these communicators today know the final battle is going to be between Muslims and Europeans. They are right. They know what they're talking about, so do the Muslims. The children of Gog are Ishmaelites. The children of Magog are from Japheth. So what's the third brother's name? Of Noah, I'm sorry. So you have Ham, who spun off, started 
Ishmaelites, Muslim. You have Japheth, who started the Europeans, literally settled in, in the Greek area, Greece area. And then you have Japheth. No, I said that. Shem, who are the descendants we come from. Now, you may bloodwise be from a Japheth, but you get grafted over into the Shem race. So all of that is very strategic and how it's going to play out in the end. This is really critical. Satan has to get full-on countries in bondage to, to him, in debt to him financially. Number seven, jealousy. Individuals who suffer with debt, oh, well, they're typically a jealous type of person. You know, you, you see someone's sunglasses, you man, those would be really cool to have, or uh, blouse they have, or shoes, tennis shoes they have, or whatever. It's, jealousy is at the basis of getting this whole thing uh, to work for, for the enemy. So jealousy, according to the Greek, is the passion of ownership of or possessing an exclusive right over a person, place, or thing. That's what jealousy is. Number eight is arrogance. Why would indebted people be arrogant when they have nothing to claim as their own? Any answers to that? There are certain, <clears throat> there are certain cars that catch my attention. And... Uh, the new Viper would be one of them. And I see someone, you know, coming at me, and, you know, in one of these vehicles, or even the new Vets are kind of got that same look. A little bit Star Wars-ish, you know. And I'm seeing this thing coming at me. And, and you just want to be nice, you know, wave like cool car or whatever, and I'll do that. And you get this arrogant response, like, yeah, what are you waving at me for? And you're kind of like, really? I'm complimenting you on your ride, bro. And you're snuffing me off? It's arrogance. And you know he's in debt up to his earlobes. You just know it. You know he didn't pay cash for this thing. And he's probably got a four-car garage that he's in debt up to his earlobes with. And then he's probably got a stereo system there. And then should be got Do you realize this guy is three to four months away from bankruptcy? If God decided to turn his success a quarter turn, no more four hundred fifty thousand dollar a year job. One accident can change it. He loses it all. And the person who's literally depending on God for their next meal, through conflict or not, just keeps on a going. That's what God is trying to show us. Arrogance in wealth almost always. Not always, but almost always go together. Number nine, we're getting close, folks. Bitterness and resentment. These two words do an adequate job of describing someone who loves money more than they love God. Why would this be? 
In regard to these two words, being adequate, job of describing someone who loves money more than they love God, why would this be? They don't have God as what? Exactly. There's no identity that is taking precedent over their spending. Does that make sense? You can say you have the identity of Christ, but your decisions of clinging to that identity over the risk of losing everything in your life becomes the proof in the pudding. And that's why I say, take it all from me. But I'm not violating the gathering of the saints, the growing in my faith, the Christ growing through me, literally by manifesting himself. You got a decision of, will I or will I not sacrifice everything I have for identity? Who he is inside me. Doesn't mean you'll have to, but that is your mindset. Those who play with evil are challenging God to remove the very possessions that form idolatry. Once they catch on to the fact that God is removing these objects, they become resentful and bitter. Most people, when they become resentful and bitter, they go back to old habits. When you go back to the old habits, you get into the bond age that locks you into being a bitter and resentful person. Number 10. Disillusionment, when indebted people attempt to use money to fill their unhappiness or obtain that possession, they quickly discover their purchase didn't make them feel any better. Not only that, they soon realize the additional debt has only added to their feelings of disillusionment and despair. Now, I can't speak for you guys. But I have made this decision more times than I probably could admit to. And I go, if I just had that new van, I could justify by, you know, I won't have to put money into it to, to you know, get a new air conditioning and a, and a new window that won't go up or, you know, and I start justifying in my mind that this debt, this two $300 a month is going to, you know, be sustainable decision. And it drives me every day. And I'm looking online and trying to find the best deal. And, you know, every it's not the decision of making the decision on going into debt to buy this van. It's tons of little decisions every day. Right? Checking out the ads and the buy the best bargain. It's just all these decisions that lead to the final decision of exchanging my identity. That's the spiritual principle I'm wanting us to see today with these ten principles of bondage. It's, it's tons of little decisions. Decisions of fear. Decisions of inadequacy. Decisions of... It's all this stuff. And you get to this point of, of reversing the great exchange and you literally swap out your identity for the identity of Satan. I'm going to say it as it is, Satan. See, he wants you in his image, not God's image. 
And even after you make your decision of being in his image, he wants you to reverse that decision. And I'm telling you folks, I work with enough people to tell you most indwelt people who get the exchange life re-exchange within two years. They go back. That seems a little bit quirky to me. But I too have been there. So how do you get out of it? Exchange again. Not the salvation, because you already have that. You take the identity thing and exchange it again. That's how it's done. This is so absolutely critical. If there's one message I am praying and hoping that our podcasts, people are compelled to to. Get to the internet and check out a, a wonder what the latest message is. Whatever. This is one of them. This is one of those pivotal messages of the great exchange and why the re-exchange is so successful from Satan. If people can't call it what it is, they're going to be bound by the thing they can't call out. Do you understand that? You've got to be able to call this thing what it is. Satan is getting people to make an exchange for his image. We are created in the image of God. Our identity is in the image of God. God's identity is in, the, is in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus put his identity in the Holy Spirit, which is actually the very Spirit of Christ. And then he takes the Holy Spirit and puts it inside the indwelt believer, which may seem an indwelt believer. And that identity is to just to be compulsively shining out like an open window that has light on the inside. That's the way it's supposed to be. And if we remember from our first five minutes of the message today, the way to get rid of darkness... It's through light. And Satan knows this, and so he's like, he's got to squelch this light. He's got to keep it under a bushel because it freaks him out. So true, indwelled, exchanged life believers can keep their light hidden under the bushel of who's in your wallet. Yes, it is possible. Identity statement for the day, folks, is... If you're like me, you will find a lot of this global finance stuff a bit hard to believe. Certainly hard to believe that it's connected to some organized crime guy called Satan. But it's true. And if you don't believe me, that's okay. You'll see it happen. My observation is that the history tends to repeat itself and that there's nothing really new under the sun. And I'm not speaking so much as a prophet, but more as a historian. If history does indeed repeat itself, the global climate is about to change. I wept on Friday for over two hours. And trying to finish the last chapter of the book of Revelation. Because of realizing it's here. And I'm going to get to see my husband 
without any fog in my eyes, any temptations in my soul. And I was grieved at the same time because the majority of the Christian world goes, yeah, yeah, I've heard about that stuff. I'm just not sure. You do your own survey and ask how many people read the book of Revelation like it's life support. Not Galatians, not Romans. The book of Revelation was a separate book given to us as a life support to be able to look in it and read it and pray and go, oh God, this is coming, isn't it? Or it is here, thank you. Oh, that's why I don't want to join that. That's why I don't want to be a part of that. That's why I don't, you see? But no, it happens to be the book in the entire Bible that is ignored. My buddy in Atlanta, who has this men's group of a couple thousand guys, says, I believe this is the best work you've ever done. I said, you know what the interesting thing is? is I, I forget about this all the time. The whole book of Revelation thing is not my whole focus. It's not, it's not in our ministry that much. It's, it's just something I have enjoyed writing and researching, whatever. And, he, and here's a guy that gets the exchanged life and he's saying, this is our environment for our exchanged life. I'm like, I'm not even getting it like he's getting it. So I weep. And I realize our husband is coming for us real soon. And how we find oil in our lamp, is it the oil of Satan? Or the oil of gladness, the Holy Spirit that's in our lamps? Hmm, good question. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.